This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your shot for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Frank Reddy. Hello. This is episode number 10 of Cinema Fix, and if you haven't listened to Cinema Fix before, basically all you need to know is that this is the show on Film Geek Radio in which we talk about mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we discuss one mainstream release, and we release the episode in two parts. The first part is a 10-minute spoiler-free discussion in which we give our general thoughts. And the second part, which you're listening to right now, is when we really dive into things and discuss what we did and didn't like about each film. And, and this week, the film that we decided to discuss is Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1. This is the fourth film in the popular Twilight franchise based on the series of young adult novels about a young woman named Bella who falls in love with a vampire named Edward. And in part one of the of our discussion, Frank, you and I concluded that this movie's not that great. It is not that great, Andrew. That's an understatement. And uh, we also did an interesting experiment this week. Yes. Where, Frank, you went to see the movie completely sober. And because I have seen the other films in the Twilight franchise and didn't care for them, I decided to go see this one under the influence of alcohol. He was overserved. Yeah, and see how that affected my enjoyment of the movie. And I think I enjoyed it more as a result. But before we really get into the movie and what works and what doesn't, here's another clip. What is it? How many days has it been since the wedding? Fourteen, why? Can you tell me what's going on? I'm, I'm late. My period's late. Frank, in part one of our discussion, we concluded that both you and I really didn't care for the movie. It's it's a really terrible movie. I'm curious as to, to you know, let, let's talk about this movie and what works and what doesn't. Can you think of a particular scene or particular element of this movie that you really didn't care for and you think kind of summarizes what's wrong with this with this movie? Yeah, I, okay. I think, that, I think that the honeymoon segment of the film um, – summarizes i think a lot of what's wrong with it is um it's basically beating a dead horse over and over again you know which is she wants to have sex he doesn't because he's afraid he's gonna hurt her they finally do have sex and then there's what feels like a really forced drama about he thinks that she's not into him but he sees that he bruised her she's bruises all over her arm so he doesn't want to do it again 
So she, you know, it gets all mopey and then they finally do it again. And, you know, you can tell it, this goes nowhere. It goes absolutely nowhere. You know what I mean? In terms of, I think, a movie, you just need to see them do it that one time. Because I think the big hook of the movie is she's pregnant with nobody knows what. So a lot of the movie is just frivolous nothingness that, that builds up and adds up to nothing. Oh, I, I agree with you completely. And, I mean, the Twilight franchise, in in my opinion, has some of the worst messages of any franchise ever that it that it's sending to young girls. I mean, this is the film in which Bella and Edward, they finally get married. They finally have sex, which they've been waiting for for over the course of three films because Twilight is all about how abstinence until marriage is the best thing ever. So they finally have sex. And it's so rough that, as you mentioned, Bella gets bruised all over her body. And But she doesn't seem to care. She seems to be like, oh, this is fine. It's okay that you hurt me because I love you and you love me. When, when, I, when I think about issues like domestic violence and things like that and, and situations in which you really do have women saying, oh, it's okay if it hurts me because it's all out of love, I really do think that this film could be sending out improper messages to young women. Would you agree with that? I would agree. I think in a lot of ways it's so overblown um, and dramatic. I, you know, there's that scene where he's talk, he, Edward's talking about how he doesn't want to live if Bella is, dies. Right. I mean, this is a franchise in which there really is no character to any of these these people. I mean... Uh, in, in New Moon, Bella is such an empty character, she has no personality outside of these two men, Edward and Jacob, that when Edward breaks up with her in New Moon, she almost dies. She she, she, she tries to, to kill herself. And here we have the opposite in, in Breaking Dawn, where when confronted with the idea that Bella might die, Edward just kind of feels like, oh, well, then I need to die, too. I mean, there there's this idea that you aren't anything without somebody else, without that true love, without that romantic connection, you can't exist. And I find that terribly insulting to single people <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is, you, you want, you, I mean, you preferably you'd like to see a movie like this, you know, you get it, it's the love of his life. So you, you want to understand that he'd be terribly, terribly distraught. If something like that happened, but you you kind of just want to slap both of them and be like, come on, stand on your own two feet. And, you know, all this Romeo and Juliet till death do us part romantic BS. All they do is stand around and talk about it. They, they Neither of them ever really – you want to see them demonstrate how much they love one another. Well, right. I mean throughout this entire this entire series, they're talking about how much they love each other. But there's they, they never really show it. Beyond staring at each other, filled with infatuation, you know. And, I mean, let's be honest, does Robert Pattinson have much to do in this film besides just standing around looking mopey? And he doesn't. That's what's interesting is it really Taylor Lautner gets a lot more to do. And, I mean, he you believe that he loves Bella because he does all this – I mean, he goes against his tribe. He, he you know – He actually he, shows emotion. He shows emotion. You, be, you believe that he loves Bella. But just you, you want somebody to kind of stand up in the movie and say, you know what, guys, this is insanity. You know what I mean? It, and it's so, so it's so overblown to the point where you, you – I just don't care if they have a relationship or not. Like I, I – they could have gotten divorced in the middle of the movie. I would not have cared. You know, the first act of this movie is 
the wedding, which is filmed and edited in such a melodramatic, cliche fashion. There was no emotion there at all. It was bland. It, it It's boring. And I've said this in other reviews of films in this franchise. The best character is, in this entire franchise is Bella's father. Yeah. Charlie, played by Billy Burke, who actually does come across as a real person. You can tell he cares about his daughter. He has a sense of humor. He wants to make sure she's okay. Throughout this entire series, he's been the one character that seems like an actual human being, as opposed to just a flat archetype. I agree. I mean, the only parts of the movie I really liked were when uh, Anna Kendrick was on screen. Oh, sure. She, she's funny. She's a great actress. You have all these people coming up, and the tri- the script in certain areas tries so hard to be funny, but a lot of the puns are really lame. Uh, Kendrick isn't given better material, but she sells it a lot better. Um, you just the, the disparity between acting talents is just so out of whack there between – you know, the three people you're forced to watch for most of the movie and just this little side role. I mean, together, altogether, she probably had about four minutes of screen time in this movie. And, and, and I mean, it's the same with Billy Burke. Yeah. Uh, Bella's father. And I, I would much rather see a film about either Anna Kendrick's character or um, Charlie Swan, played by Billy Burke, because they actually seem like real people. They've got personalities. They're not just completely infatuated with themselves and with other people. I mean, they seem like independent, real human beings. And I with I, personalities. Right, with personalities. And I like that. And and the the main characters in this movie don't have that at all. No, it just there's nothing there to kind of latch on to. Like there's no characterization at all. All the characters kind of blend together. And Right, I, I mean at least the the other films in the franchise, I mean, they there there was a villain named Victoria. Yeah. She was the, the main antagonist in at least two films of this series. And by the time we get to Breaking Dawn Part 1, she's dead, and there is no villain. So the only conflict is, one, oh, how are get Bella and Edward going to have sex? And two, oh, no, how is she going to deal survive this, this pregnancy? Right. How is she going to deal with And I think baby? that's where the, where the movie falls down is it, it does nothing with the pregnancy storyline. I mean once it sets, sets up this is potentially something threatening, Yeah, I mean it never kind of plays with that. You know, it's the wolves one or dead, but the, the wolves never really make much of a move until a climax that literally lasts for two minutes and is solved by saying Jacob imprinted on the baby. Oh, right, right. And I mean, in terms of the werewolf subplot in this film, that's, there, there's really nothing there beyond, oh, we're going to run through the woods for a while and fight about something. I never understood why is it such a big deal to the werewolves that this baby is born? Why is that such a bad thing? Why are they so desperate to kill it? It's not like this is a werewolf vampire. Yeah induced pregnancy. I mean, it's not, you know, why do they care that Edward and Bella had sex and she got pregnant? I'm, I'm just not sure why it matters. Yeah, I feel like the movie takes for granted a lot that you're just going to kind of buy into things without really needing an explanation. And a lot of the times you do, like you, you can't gloss over some of this stuff 
without like even a basic understanding of why the characters are behaving in the way they're behaving. Well, right. And, and even when it comes to – I mean I don't mean to be vulgar, but even when it comes to, to vampire sex, I mean – Bella and Edward seem really shocked when she turns out to be pregnant. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness, how could you be pregnant? And I wanted to sit there and scream, well, because you had unprotected sex, you idiots. Yeah. That's what happens. I mean, there's this idea that, okay, Edward is a vampire. He's the undead. So he shouldn't be able to get people pregnant. But I'm sitting there and thinking to myself, well, wait, if they can have sex – that means that there is some sort of blood flow to his penis, which means that there is some sort of life there. Has no one tested vampire semen to see if it can is capable of, to see if it's alive, to see if those cells can produce life? I mean, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if she can have sex with Edward, then of course she can get pregnant by him. Why is that such a surprise? Yeah, I mean that didn't – I was willing to make the leap because it's a magical movie that, OK, maybe you know this is like breaking all the, the rules that have been established so far and this is like a freak accident. But I mean what – I just didn't get why she wanted to keep it even after the old apparently mystical cleaning lady came in and was like, death. <laughs> right. And she's I, like, no, let's keep the baby. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> right. I mean, I wanted to cheer for this cleaning lady because there's this Brazilian cleaning lady in the film who really does kind of take the view that, oh, no, this is a demon you're with. This is a bad relationship. This pregnancy is doomed. I wanted to just applaud and say, you're absolutely right. This Amen. Is, this is really messed up. Yeah, you, you know, you're totally on the right page there but no one else in the film seems to realize how messed up this is so Bella gets pregnant and then there's this whole theme related to abortion and because Stephanie Meyer is Mormon and very religious she's going to take the very pro-life stance but this movie takes it to the extreme I mean this is a situation in which Bella could very well die in all likelihood she will die. I mean, the baby is ba breaking her bones. The baby is causing all of this physical conflict that could kill her. And yet she's like, no, I've got to stick it through. I've got to give birth because that's just what I need to do. It's just the, the transition between hearing your child is a demon and she seems visibly shaken by that to when Jacob goes to see her and she's totally fine with it. I just – I don't understand what happened between then and there to get her to fine with it. Right. I, I mean this is a film in which the child is literally a product of the undead, a product of Satan if you want to go that far because Edward in previous films has said that he's damned and he's if, – if vampires are, the spirit, are spiritually evil, if they're the, the spiritually damned, this is a baby and a creature that – to be blunt, needs to be aborted. And yet Bella is still very much like, yay, I have to give birth to it even though it could probably kill me. And that's fine if that's the stance she wants to take. I mean, that's good dramatic foil for all the, for Edward who's, you know, get it out of you. I just didn't I just didn't believe the transition between this is an evil baby and she, her, her look of, oh my God, I'm terrified to, I'm going to keep it. Like, I just, I didn't buy the moment. And it could have been a great moment. Right. I, I didn't understand that transition. I mean, if Stephanie Meyer wants to argue that 
you know, be this real pro-life advocate and advocate and, 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 and say that abortion is never acceptable, even when the life of the mother is, is at stake. That's fine, but just give me something to latch on to emotionally. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe there was a scene in the book in the book that showed the transition and they cut it out for the film. You know, and then just the rest of it, just you, you knew where it was going, where it was he's going to want her to get out of it. She's going to want to keep it. And nothing ever really – the relationship stays the same throughout the whole thing. There is no change in their relationship at all. It's static and as a result, it's very boring. Yeah, I mean there's nothing really there beyond, oh, no, I'm pregnant accidentally. Okay, I guess I'll have it. Even there, though it could kill me. There are a lot of shots of her grabbing her belly. Like when she first finds out she's pregnant, it just you get tired of getting hit over the head with the fact that this could potentially be a very danger dangerous thing. Right. I mean, I mean because this there there really isn't a plot to this film, I, you know, the the baby in essence is the villain. The baby is the thing that could destroy Bella, could kill her, could end this relationship between her and Edward. And yet I just didn't care. They never really built it up and explained why it's such a big deal that the baby remained alive. And I was I, I just did not care. I thought it was hilariously awful. Writing. It was it was fun. it was I mean you just you almost couldn't believe that this was like a big studio blockbuster feature on its fourth try. I mean you just I mean, you, you get used to a certain level of crappiness sometimes with Hollywood blockbusters, but this was just a whole new level where I almost couldn't believe that the script got past studio executives without them being like, really? This is the best we can do here? Well, because it's going to make a ton of money. No Either way, what. yeah. You know, and I mean, there is, let's not forget, there is a scene in this film in which a bunch of CGI wolves stare each other down and communicate <sighs> telepathically. It's I the mean, most horribly choreographed scene ever. It is so awful. It's so overblown. It's so melodramatic. I just didn't care about anybody on screen. It's it's just laughable. You know, it really is. This movie is trying to make you care about its characters. It's trying to make you accept that this is a really big deal. And it's trying to hide the fact that honestly – it's really not. It's honestly hilarious how melodramatic and how poorly written this stuff is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I know it's been split up into part two and having not read the book, I don't know if they just – they decided they needed two movies to make more money and decide to save all the actual plot stuff that's in the book for the second movie or if the next movie is going to be equally as empty and just kind of filled with filler. But it just – the whole thing just felt so mismanaged. I think, you know, at the, at the very base of it, there's a terrible, terrible script that, that sets every other level of the production as just such a significant disadvantage. I don't think there was any recovering from it. I think that this film would be perfect if listeners want to get a bunch of friends together, get drunk, and provide some sort of hilarious commentary to it. I mean, I want to see the Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of this movie because there are so many moments so many lines of dialogue that just they're, they're practically screaming make fun of me make a joke here that i think that if under you know in the right circumstances this could be a fun hilarious comedy of the of a film 
just because it's so bad. Yeah, it almost gives you the impression that they're trying to do a spoof, except that the music reminds you again and again. It's almost like they realized that this movie could play very funny. And so they had the guy who did the music just go so over the top. Right. I mean, the score was written by Carter Burwell, who is a decent uh, musician and, and, and wrote the scores for movies like No Country for Old Men. But here, he's just required to write and perform the most simple, melodramatic melodies that it, it, it almost felt like this was an online YouTube parody of Twilight at times. When I sit back and I, and I think about it, I mean, here you've got an unplanned pregnancy. You've got a woman who's being married to an undead spiritually damned individual. I mean, these are heavy ideas with really interesting theological implications that could be explored in great detail, but they never are. And this movie almost feels like the comedic YouTube parody version of a much better serious film. It really does. It really, I mean, I'd be interested to see what all these actors go on to do next. Um, because I, I don't think that this is a fair um, barometer of anybody's talent. I just feel like the material, it, it literally is like a big screen soap opera with supernatural elements. It's just terrible, terrible stuff. We've learned throughout this series that Taylor Lautner, at least, is very good at taking off his shirt. He does it within the first 30 seconds of this movie. And we've learned throughout this series that a variety of, of, of messages. We've learned that, one, stalking is okay. We've learned that if your loved one leaves you, you should kill yourself. We've learned that it's okay if you have bruises and he hurts you because that's just an indication of true love. I mean, there are so many very helpful, positive messages to be gleaned from this series. Wouldn't you agree, Frank? Yeah, I'm not sure this movie has, just, it has much to offer at all in terms of intelligent thought. You know, I think we both agree that it's a waste of time. Right. I mean, there is a moment in this movie in which it looks like Bella may be dead. And I don't know about you, but I was sitting in my seat thinking, please, please die. I mean, that would make this series better if you weren't here. I mean, it, Bella is such an empty, one-dimensional character. I kind of feel like, well, if she's dead, maybe the movie can move on and go into some interesting directions. Well, I was just thinking, oh, please, I know there's a Breaking Dawn Part 2. Let's let's be honest with ourselves. You're not going to die. Let, let, let's have a Breaking Dawn Part 2 without Bella. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be interesting. No, because then I would just, it would just be Edward moping for two no, hours. No, it would be Edward and Jacob fighting, which at least would have some action and some blood, hopefully. I still wouldn't be able to watch that for two hours. <laughs> Well, before we uh, wrap things up, we need to mention the mid-credits sequence. With Michael Sheen? With Michael Sheen, Our yes. friend Michael Sheen. You know, the the Voltori, this, the, this group of vampires that hasn't been brought up in a while, they, they aren't present throughout this film at all until the short scene in the middle of the end credits when Michael Sheen as Lord of the Voltori acts as though this pregnancy is a really big deal and it's really terrible that it happened and they're going to have to step in and take care of things. What did you think of that? I liked Michael Sheen a lot. I thought he was the best actor by far in the movie. Oh, no question. The part where he called in his two henchmen to drag off his assistant 
like into the corner to do what to to kill her in the corner. I feel like it'd be more badass if they just killed her on the spot. But well, I'm not sure why exactly they had to kill her. Apparently, she misspelled a letter, a, a couple of letters, in the uh, the note she gave him. See, that wasn't made clear. Right. So, I mean, I mean, let this be a lesson a lesson to you, dear listeners. You need to have proper spelling and proper grammar. Otherwise, it it. You could die. Well, and it also shows how inept this movie is with comedy because they right. were intending to be funny and he just – he I don't think Bill Connick can set up a joke to save his life. I mean Michael Sheen is definitely the best actor in these films. I don't understand why he's doing them except uh, because he needs a paycheck. I mean this Does is he a have fan- kids? Probably. I mean this is a fantastic actor. That really deserves to be doing better work. Maybe his kids like the books. Than this. I mean, I mean it could be. But, I mean, here, I mean, essentially what they've done is they've set up the plot for the second film to be, okay, one, Bella's a vampire, two, Jacob's a pedophile who's now in love with her baby, and three, the Volturi have decided to get involved somehow. So now, are are they going to be the villain? I mean, at the very least... If we go see Breaking Dawn Part 2, is there going to be some we sort of plot involving them as a villain? Two. I hope so because that would be better than watching her and Edward mope around and talk about their relationship and about their pregnancy. Yeah, by far. Yeah. So, Frank, I think we both con- have concluded that this is a terrible film, perhaps better enjoyed while under the influence. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about this movie? Just that I wouldn't bother with it unless you're a fan of the books or you you really love the other movies that much that you just want to see where the story goes. I would stay away. I would agree with you. It's a terrible film. If you love the series, there's nothing we can say that will convince you to, to not see it. But if you don't particularly care either way, all you need to know is that it's really, really terrible. And I hope that one, perhaps in the future one day, someone on Film Geek Radio will record a commentary to the film because it's 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 so bad it it really is kind of funny yeah it really is it's so ridiculously bad it's like the type of quality you expect to see in a student film oh absolutely where it yeah. just everything feels just wrong everything feels melodramatic everything feels over the top everything feels like it wasn't properly thought out it's just the sh- most superficial exploration of issues imaginable on that note enjoy your friday yeah all right i think that'll wrap it up for um part two of our episode on twilight breaking dawn part one we would love to get your feedback on the show please email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com let us know what you thought of this episode let us let us know what you thought of the fact that i was not entirely sober during the experience was that beneficial to you? Do you did that hurt the quality of our review? You know, let us know what you think of that idea. You can also comment on the website at www.filmgeekradio.com and subscribe to the show through iTunes. If you liked this episode, please tip us through the donate button on the website or write us a review on iTunes and help get the word out about the show. We really appreciate it. Frank, where can people find you online? Uh, FJ Reddy at Twitter and quite frankly entertainment at wordpress.com. All right. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find some of my writing at www.thecoolishoveffect.com. You can also find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writer Andrew. If you're a fan of the show, 
please uh, drop me a message and I will be sure to follow you back once I once I know that you're a listener. All right, I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Frank Reddy. And have fun this week getting high on cinema and not happy vampire day. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.